Canada Conversations is brought to you by Deloitte Canada, helping you navigate the complex challenges your company faces through recovery and enabling you to thrive in the new normal. To learn more, visit Deloitte.ca. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the December 4th, 2020 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. Folks, there is little doubt that the COVID-19 pandemic has altered the way people shop as it drives more of us online. And auto buying is no different. But how and what are new car buyers searching as they shop online? Where are they seeing ads? How are they arriving at dealership websites? And what about dealers themselves? Are they prepared for this shift to online? What are they doing right? And what do they need to be doing more of to appease a market that's becoming more connected every day? We get the answers to those questions and a host of others on today's show when I speak with Matthew Groden from the Google Canada Auto Retail Team and Jeremy Kosh, General Manager of Kosh Ford Lincoln in Edmonton, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Matt, Jeremy, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Matt, let's start with you, and let's start with an obvious question. Um, Generally speaking, how has the pandemic affected the way people um, shop for new vehicles online? Is it different today than it was even, say, in January of this year or even toward the end of last year? Yeah, I think a few things have changed. Some are, are still actually the same. It's more how we're responding to specific needs. So there's a lot of noise in both the automotive market and other markets around digital transformation. And I think the lockdowns in the spring really kicked off a lot of interest in digital retailing that wasn't there before. So although the tools existed and although, you know, there are some good examples and, and Jer might talk about this in, in a little while, that that we're in market, there were not a lot of examples of, you know, any way you could get closer to a purchase of a vehicle online or purchase a vehicle online in Canada. And that changed almost overnight. And a lot of people jumped full or into it. Uh, the desire from the consumer, you know, really followed the trend of the lockdown. So where a year ago, people, you know, about 43% of people said they might be interested in buying a vehicle online, likely or highly likely to buy a vehicle online. When we got right into the heart of lockdown in March and April, that number jumped into the 70s, around 74% in Canada. And then as, you know, the lockdown was was lessened and people were able to get out and about again, that number came back down, but it still stayed higher than last year. It still stayed at around 59%. And if you compare that to any other omni-channel v- vertical, if you compare it to, you know, the Best Buys and the, the Indigos of the world, you know, they're lucky if they're doing 20% of their sales digitally, right? They're still... Uh, an experience where people are doing most of their research online and then, you know, buying, buying in store. So it's, it's interesting to see that this, this change has almost happened overnight. Jeremy, what's it been like um, sort of on the ground floor at the ground level? you you see it, um, you're dealing with customers on a one-on-one basis. What's changed for you? Have you seen that change and what, What's it been like for you as a dealership to be able to um, handle that and and meet those expectations and change the way you do business? You know, it's it's an interesting thing to uh, to look at in the light of change. I I don't actually believe or necessarily think that 
too much has changed. I think the situation that's going on with COVID and, and the rest of the craziness of 2020 has put a spotlight on this, has people talking about it, has certainly changed a lot of aspects of different areas of retail. But for us, specifically at the dealer level, um, I, I think this has been something that's been happening for uh, quite a while, where the center of attention is online, or at least starting online. And um, the really the only point that people making any kind of transition from being in store to starting online or over the phone or anything like that, this, this trend has been going on for, again, for an extremely long time and COVID hasn't changed that. It's, this is all the same. If anything that's really changed dramatically for us, it's the hesitation or just the amount that people want information to go through as to how the in-store experience is going to go they want to be preloaded to, okay, if I come in, what's a test drive look like? Or how does a test drive get delivered to us? What kind of cleanliness is happening at store? They're preloading for that information. Apart from that, the actual journey that the customer is taking, I think is the same. I think it's, it's still, it's centered around online and finding information before they come down. I like to remind Jeremy that he might've been pandemic ready. So the cautious you know, is in a unique in a unique situation where, you know, they they've had capabilities on their web experience. They've been working at improving that experience for many years now. And so they already had the tools to allow people to at least do a reservation for a vehicle online. And they were, you know, sort of putting words in your mouth here, but the the marketing team, the digital team was already telecommuting. They were already, you know. A, a, a set of resources that were working from their own homes in different places around Canada, the US and the world. So the, it's, um, you know, I, I see where he's coming from. I understand why he would say not much has changed, but I think it's a different scenario if you're not cost board. I just wanted, I just wondered, Jeremy, have you seen more people use um, the digital avenues to connect with you than you did before the pandemic while you were ready for it and knew what to expect. I just wonder if the volume has increased in the number of people who are using it. Um, <laughs> personally, and it's not the sexy answer, but no, <laughs> and again, it's, uh, you know, just from a, a point of view of uh, transparency on our end, it, it's something that we identified five years ago was the trend that was happening in our vertical and, and, uh, kind of went towards that earlier. It, the ratio of leads coming in and phone calls coming in and, and information gathering before someone ever steps foot in the store has been, you know, increasing over time steadily for, for again, the last five years, quite a bit. It's, it's perhaps a little bit more amplified with, uh, COVID and with everything going on, but us personally, I, I don't think that we see this dramatic, uh, insane shift happening in real time with the pandemic going on. This is just where things have been going for a while. And, and I think a lot of retail and a lot of verticals, um, are maybe just waking up and going, Oh shoot, like, whoops, I guess this is a thing now. Well, and I wanted to ask you that. So then you were prepared. This isn't out of the norm for you or, or it isn't as difficult for you to handle as it might have been some others. What's your advice for dealerships right now then who are maybe not quite as integrated online as you are? 
Advice for dealerships. Uh, it, it, I mean, depends on the level of not quite integrated. If they're, if they're not in control of their online presence and how that funnel is happening for them and what they're doing to direct their customers through that journey, uh, that um, I don't have any advice. Like, I think you're a little late, uh, to, to be honest. If, they're, if the dealers, again, in the auto world um, specifically, if they're a little bit more in tune with what's been going on and they have some control over their online showroom and they have control over their tools and they can do something about it, um, then it's going to be a lot easier for them to find a way to make it work with their in-store experience rather than those that have just kind of left it to fate, I suppose. And, and I would add to that, that, you know, again, you know, Jeremy and his team are, are in a, in a pretty good place when it comes to some of these things. It, it is when I get asked this question and a lot of the, the presentations that I'm giving in the last, you know, couple of months, it's really the, like, what do you need to do to get there? So, you know, are you optimizing your web experience for, for digital retailing? Are you, you know, if you're not, if you don't have one of those tools yet, are you just doing the things you need to do to get there? Like making the pages load quickly, ensuring that you've got, you know, conversion tracking in place for your leads and your phone calls and that you're tracking those actions and that you're optimizing to those actions. And a lot of it is still digital 101, but it's really get all the basics right. Things that have been pretty commonplace, again, in the retail vertical that are now critically important in automotive. That if you're not if you're not taking ownership of your digital presence, if you don't have pages that load in three or four seconds on every page load, then people are just jumping away. They've got choice. They're going to go somewhere else. And, and I don't mean to, uh, with my previous answer, maybe sound a little crass with a, it's too late, you're already dead uh, type uh, <laughs> answer with it. Um, but I guess I would just emphasize the fact that you know, making this transition from a more archaic standpoint, if you're not... Uh, in tune with how this trend has been going, it just takes a lot of, of money. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of alignment um, with your staff, with um, all the key personnel, all the head honchos uh, within any business. This is not something that just some marketing guy within your one dealership can make happen overnight. Uh, it's This is an overhaul that has to take place from the top down and everybody has to be aligned with it or you won't get anywhere with it and you'll just, you'll burn money and time. And there's a misconception that when you're talking about selling something online, that that really starts with the website. But in many ways, the website is certainly only one part of that and in some ways the easiest part, right? You need to have all of the store processes in in check, you need to have the pickup and delivery, the forward and reverse logistics, right? If you were working in a in the kind of Amazon model. So getting all of those things right, there's a lot of work for dealers to do before they're really ready for a digital retailing world. Definitely. I just wonder how, how much control do um, individual dealers have over the website? How much control is there by the automakers? Is that a difficult thing to navigate? Um, is it all on the dealer? It, do you need approval from uh, the automakers? I just wonder what that relationship is like and what a dealer can do on his own um, without or with permission of, of the automaker themselves. I think it's different OEM to OEM. And so it is, you know, there are these, these kind of organization structures in place where an OEM will identify 
what are the certified website partners that we're going to work with and then um, beyond that who are the you know the marketing and media partners we will encourage our dealers to work with and then who are the kind of digital retailing partners we might encourage a dealer to work with um but not every oem has exactly the same rules and i think and jared you jump in here because you guys have taken a, a pretty unique approach to this yourselves there's certainly uh it, depending on which brand um and then who you're dealing with at the brand um there's certainly red tape and obstacles to overcome depending on the breadth of scope of what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. Um, so yes, there's certainly the obstacle of uh, the OEM that presents itself in this whole thing. The other part is just integration of all the different ends that you're trying to do. So your inventory in particular and, and making that work in conjunction with your digital solutions online in conjunction with your finance uh, application that allows for credit applications and allows for deposits to be taken. And, and all these things have to work with one another. And the, the, the entire auto sector is so divided and siloed with vendors that control each and every one, not just from an OEM and dealer level, but um, finding these solutions and to make them work all in conjunction and make everyone handshake with one another is uh, it's extremely difficult and time consuming. Matthew, what's the one thing that a customer wants or expects when they end up on a dealer's website? Is there one thing that they that a dealer needs to focus on? Is there one thing that the website has to do really well in order to keep that customer from start to finish in the entire process of buying a vehicle? I think, unfortunately, it's more than one thing. But at the end of the day, if we look at our, our research and we've kind of had this answer for, for many years with what we've done with Syncato. And that is the customer is looking to get answers to certain questions. And the two most important questions are simply, is it in stock? What am I going to pay? And you know, most dealer websites actually do a pretty decent job of answering those two questions. And that's why you know, at different times, either in the journey and at year to year, sometimes we see the dealer websites play a more important role at certain points than OEM websites, just because you don't get that level of visibility. I think the the where we go a little astray in the in the dealer universe is we get a little too excited about adding the bells, the you know the widgets, the the chat bot, the things that pop up and then interfere with the person's ability to actually accomplish those tasks. And in it's again, if we if we kind of you know you go take a look at how any other major e-commerce website is put together, there's just so much more white space, right? It's a clean, it's a fast experience. I can see what I need to do or what I, what information I need to make a purchase, whether I do that again online or in store. And we kind of need to get there too. We need to strip out the noise. You know, we need to simplify the experience. We need to answer those, those two key questions. And then as, as Jeremy alluded, we need to explain, you know, what are the safety measures we're putting in place? How are we operating? What are the remote buying opportunities, right? Whether that's, again, through a tool or just like phone and email, because you can do a lot of this just in phone, phone and email. We'll hear more from Matthew Groden and Jeremy Kosh after this short break. The COVID-19 pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on the world's population and economy. Social distancing and self-isolation measures have taken consumers out of the auto retail market, while concern over worker safety continues in manufacturing facilities globally. 
an increasingly distressed supply base is facing the potential for large-scale liquidity issues, which may lead to increased M&A activity throughout the ecosystem. Significant uncertainty remains around the permanence of current consumer behaviors and the extent to which they will be able to re-engage with the sector. Through Deloitte's State of the Consumer Tracker series, we discuss timely data and trends and highlight key consumer insights. We also explore how behavioral preferences take shape over time to allow businesses to make strategic decisions in this dynamic market environment. The ongoing survey results are also available via an interactive dashboard, the Deloitte Global State of the Consumer Tracker. Check in every two weeks to explore new consumer insights and emergent trends. Welcome back to the show, where I'm speaking with Matthew Groden from the Google Canada Auto Retail Team and Jeremy Kosh, General Manager of Kosh Ford Lincoln in Edmonton. Matthew, uh, what are people searching for before they end up at a dealer's website? Uh, I just wonder what people are Googling. Are they looking for, say, dealerships near me? Are they looking for specific brands or specific models? I just wonder what the path is for a maybe first-time buyer or a new car buyer who is starting from ground zero and wants to finish a sale with someone like Jeremy. What is that process like? What are they searching for? And then how do you get them to get to your website ultimately if you're a dealer? Yeah, we we kind of think about this. And again, it goes back to this notion of, of answering specific questions. And, and it kind of then is echoed in this notion of there are these specific micro moments during the journey where I'm looking to get answers to specific questions. And so, you know, when I start out, if I don't know, like if I'm open to multiple brands or multiple kind of segments, then I might start with very generic queries. And that is, you know, often more of a top of a funnel exercise where it's like, you know, best new truck or best new SUV. But as I get more serious and as I've gotten answers to, you know, the what and the how, it's now where am I going to buy and am I good? Am I getting a good deal? And those queries are the ones that land more frequently on, on dealership websites. And that'll be, you know, can be as precise or specific as, you know, make model trim year and color, right? Like I am looking for, you know, a 2020 F-150 XLT in blue. Is it available at Coshboard? And so, it is, you really have to think about it as, you know, I have a series of questions I'm trying to answer and my questions start out vague. And then as I get closer to, to actually deciding to go to a dealership, and once I feel comfortable that dealerships, you know, met all of my other needs and answered all those other questions, then it can get really, really, really granular. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, a, a you know, someone like Kosh or any other dealership isn't also going to see the occasional more generic query. It's more about where that person is. And I, I think it it's important to understand that on any given day, Google sees you know 15% more queries that we've never seen before. Like there are more people searching in different ways every day um, that have never hit Google before than the day prior. And that's really because there are new things. There are new models, new vehicles, new products. And then on the other side, people get, they kind of learn how to search. They add things. And so the near me was, uh, you know, blah, 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 near me, Thai food near me, dealership near me was a big deal a few years ago. And now it's open, right? So I'm looking for dealer near me open now, uh, looking to see is that dealership open at the time when I'm actually interested in, in driving over there. Uh, Jeremy, um, 
pardon my ignorance, but your dealership, I assume, has the ability to um, complete a transaction entirely online or how close are you to being able to complete a transaction entirely online? I just wonder where dealerships are right now with that entire process of, you know, I was looking for a fridge recently and I was willing and able to, to buy one online uh, and have it shipped here. I just wonder how close are we or how many of those transactions are we doing in terms of automobiles? Okay, I'll I'll answer it in two parts. Uh, we're we're fully capable of uh, actually doing a transaction online, but uh, the second part would be how many transactions actually happen fully online. Um, and so, two very different things. The capabilities there. Um, we can take a uh, a, a credit application uh, in full. Uh, we have the uh, ability through our platform to do a full payment, um, uh, full purchase on a vehicle, take payment through a, a payment provider and, and do all the rest. And the rest is paperwork that can be done digitally and, and then delivery and, and everything else can be done remotely as well. So the capability is there. The market, the customers, I don't believe are at a point yet. And, and I don't know when this transition, if, and how it all, uh, exactly happens. Um, to where they're to where they want to take advantage of that. And it seems to be with auto a much slower um, process to transitioning the market into doing that. So the capability is all there. Uh, and in to to that fact, uh, four years ago, four, four and a half years ago, we we were live uh, with that ability and we actually stripped that functionality from our uh, site a little bit more recently to do a full uh, payment on online. And it's because frankly, it wasn't being used, um, to, to do the full payment. And it was just cluttered then as, uh, Mr. Ground uh, alluded to earlier uh, on the site and maybe a little bit confusing. So as we try to consolidate and make it a little bit easier to use the tools and get to where the customers actually want to go with it, that full purchase idea is not a thing today, uh, at least not being utilized. How, how do you get people to make it a thing? How do you get people to buy into that and have the confidence to do that? Or as some executives in the business have said, uh, a car is a very personal thing and you want to drive it and you want to sit in it and you want to see it. Um, is, is that the biggest deterrent? Might it never get there simply because of the type of item that it is? One that is very personal, um, very emotional purchase. How do you ship to market? <laughs> um, how does how does Kosh Ford, the little dealer in Edmonton, Alberta, ship the ship the market? Hey, um, it, it's th this is something that I think not only has to come from a consumer confidence standpoint, it, as you allude to, with the idea that um, it's a very personal, expensive purchase that uh, people want to feel uh, secure about when they do it. But I think it, it's also something that likely will need to get shifted from uh, a player, a beast much bigger than, than us and probably bigger than a lot of, uh, it, it, I, I'm not just alluding to like a big auto group or something like that. We may be having to talk about the, the big, big boys, you know, like Mr. Mr. Google over here and, and some of the other uh, giants uh, out there and, and what they do to condition the market into, into that being a thing. Um, so I, I, this, this is, this is a, that's a big, big question and a big, big ask that I don't necessarily have the answer to alone. And I would add the, you know, the muscle memory for the consumer has been that I, 
I need to go to the dealership and I need to negotiate. And so for as long as that is still the case, until there's you know more consistent and transparent pricing, I think that that will continue to be the expectation and an expectation that we'll need to kind of unravel over time as you know the industry begins to embrace this notion of transparent pricing. And then that that again becomes one of the building blocks to simplify that that digital transaction. But even outside of that, you look at any other vertical where there's like a, a large ticket purchase involved. And I often use the example when I'm talking to dealers of like a, a cell phone, an iPhone, a pixel. If you know when you buy a cell phone for the first time, if there's a new model, you do want to go see it. Like you want to hold it, you want to like feel it, you want sure. to see where the buttons are. And then after you've done that, you know, after you've done that physical, you know, drive by effectively or test drive of the phone, then you're quite comfortable to go on, you know, the Rogers website or the Telus website or the Google website or the Apple website and buy that device. But there's this physical element to that, to your point, that is, you know, about preference and choice and pretty personal that you can't can't get away from. But that doesn't mean that a lot of the steps in between can't be fully digitized, that the, my research can be done and the automotive already is done, you know, 90% of folk doing all of their research, you know, across multiple touch points for, for a vehicle purchase. And then, you know, it's the, how do we bridge some of these gaps so that when the consumer is there and when the consumer is ready, and again, it comes down to these moments for the person who, you know, is very comfortable. I already had this vehicle. I just need another one. Then it becomes a much easier job convincing them. They won't even need convincing. They'll just do it. I want to talk video before we end this conversation. One of the key points that Think Auto mentioned earlier this year is that one in three auto buyers were influenced by YouTube to make a purchase. I just wonder how so. Um, what was it about those ads or about YouTube that nudged people towards the purchasing process, Matthew? Yeah, and it, it's it's a very similar story on YouTube as it is for search in that it, it it's also an exercise in getting answers to questions. So if I am going through this journey and, you know, and it can even be as top level as how to buy a car. If I'm entirely new to the exercise and I'm in a place where I need a vehicle because I don't want to be on public transit or on lifts, I may look to YouTube for someone to explain like, how are cars sold? How do I do this? Uh, how to and learning and education on the platform is massive. I think the other part of the video equation and YouTube specifically is that we've we didn't realize how large the platform has become and how pervasive it's become. And so now we have over 10 million Canadians every month watching video on YouTube on their television, not just their mobile phone or their, their laptop or tablet, like on their actual television, which means it's, it's the largest ad-supported video network in the country. So, you know, when it comes to the influence during the buying journey, it's again that if I can't in a world like back in March or at any time, if if I'm just busy and I can't get to the dealership, but I want to see what the inside of that vehicle looks like, I want to get a sense of the vehicle on the road, then I'm just going to do that, air quotes, test drive in video. I'm going to watch the video that gives me a good sense of what it's going to be like when I am the person driving that video, walking up to that video, 
And then what are the features of that, that particular vehicle that might make me interested in buying it even more? So it, it, there, you know, Jeremy and his team are actually embarking on a really interesting exercise and they're actually using some data that, that we gave them to put together specific videos to answer specific questions uh, that are related to the, the nameplates that they sell. And it's kind, of, it's kind of exciting to see that come to life. I wanted to ask and get Jeremy's reaction to what you just said. I mean, 10 million people watching YouTube, biggest ad-supported video platform in the country. Jeremy, when you hear that as a dealer, what do you think or envision for you as a dealership? Are you doing enough on YouTube and in, in, in video online um, to meet that demand and to reach those eyeballs? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, you've been honest throughout this interview. I love it. <laughs> Uh, I like the smile on Matt's uh, face when I say that. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's certainly more that we can do, and uh, we are definitely committed to doing it. it. It's it's all about trying to find the balance. Yes, there's uh, a ton of eyes on it, and and a ton of people that utilize it. But then, how do you how do you as a dealer as a business utilize it correctly to get the best value for your dollar? This is kind of the the core basis of any advertising marketing that you do anytime you're trying to find that balance. And so on YouTube, the great part is that it, it opens up to a lot of experimentation. And so we're looking at how we engage uh, with customers. How do we on maybe a, a micro level um, hit the, the right chord that leads uh, people down further into the funnel that we want them to. So there is a ton that you can do with the platform. There's uh, a lot that you can burn uh, and do wrong, uh, just like any advertising platform sure. uh, that that you won't see return on. But uh, the great part about this one is that it allows you to kind of experiment and, and try a bunch of different things until you find something that clicks. How much do you rely on the automakers themselves for their sort of mass marketing on YouTube? You know, if I watch a U- any clip on YouTube, it might start with a uh, an ad for a new vehicle, not necessarily an ad produced by a dealership, but definitely one produced by an automaker. So how much do you lean on them and use those videos, uh, Jeremy? And maybe, Matt, you can jump in too. Just wonder how important th- uh, of a role those play. None. Really? Uh, now, 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 again, I... <laughs> Uh, we're, we're maybe possibly in a little bit more of a unique, uh, situation with this, but we've kind of had, a uh, the whole vision here is, has been to set ourselves apart a little bit because you can get caught in, in this mire of just being, being just Ford and not Kosh Ford. And obviously right. a lot of what we do is kind of make ourselves unique. So um, we take a lot of inspiration from there, there's a channel on YouTube uh, Donut uh, Donut Media. We look at um, we, we look at different different things like that, and we try to set ourselves apart in, in that case. So no, from when it comes to just the standard for uh, videos and pre rolls and things that go on there, we we don't do personally anything with them. Nor do I take into account that that is anything that we need to leverage. Uh, Matt, um, we just had a story on Automotive News uh, a couple weeks ago um, where ad campaigns differ from within the city and in rural Canada. Um, In the city, a lot of people doing a lot of digital advertising in the rural parts of Canada. A lot of people still relying on local radio and local newspapers. 
Um, is that a similar thing you're seeing at Google where people aren't just aren't doing a lot of digital stuff in the rural parts and the counties of uh, Canada? Just because internet access might not be as good or as reliable, I, I just wonder if you see a split there the same way some print and radio see uh, in, in small towns and big cities. You know, I read that article, and the the interesting thing about that article was it talked about a dealer in Saskatchewan who was, uh, I guess I think it was Hyundai, a Hyundai dealer, and That's Hyundai right, yeah. had pulled out of the local market in newsprint and um, and the comment that the dealer made, because I always, you know, I guess I have a, a very keen interest in how people use specific words. And the quote in the article was, when people came into the dealership, they would say, right? When people came into the dealership, they would say, I don't see your print ads anymore. But they still came in the dealership, right? So there was sort of a, like, my mind went to, well, clearly what Hyundai Canada is doing is working. <laughs> like, True. They, yeah. still, they still showed up. Yeah. Um, so we think there, you know, there is a technology divide to a degree in rural Canada. Um, the, the reality is you dig into, I actually have all of this open in tabs. I wasn't looking at it for this reason, but um, the federal government is about to, spend something like $1.8 billion in upscaling rural internet access across the country. And that is a very fast-moving target. It's a very fast-moving train. They hope to get a lot of these projects up and running in the next two to three years. And you look at all the major telcos, they're already rolling out this their, their 5G networks. And so, you know, where it is true that internet speeds in parts of rural Canada have been slower, they're still fast enough to stream Netflix pretty much anywhere in the country. And that could be, yes, your local dial-up or your local, sorry, DSL network may only be, you know, 10 megabit downloads versus the gigabit downloads you might get in an urban center, but it's still enough to like view ads or, you know, research or run some searches or watch some YouTube or look at a Netflix video. So I think the, the divide is there, but it's not as extreme as we really think. I also think the needs of a person in rural Canada are the same, especially now when we're again, reluctant to, you know, get in our existing vehicles and drive anywhere, let alone a dealership. So there's an opportunity there. And if you do, in fact, if it is the case, and there may be communities that are isolated enough that have dealerships in them where what was said in that article make a lot of sense, where it's like, okay, well, the only media available to me is traditional media. And so that's what I need to do to market my dealership. But I think, you know, give it another 24 or 18 months and that won't be true. Let's end on this. Um, Sorry, Jeremy, I'm going to go back to Matt to end it. I just wonder what his biggest piece of advice for dealerships uh, are right now. What is that one thing that they should be doing digitally that they're not or that you would encourage them to do more of if they're already doing it? What is your best advice for dealerships, Matt? Well, and it may come, it may sound like it's coming out of left field a little bit. If I were to give you one piece of advice, it's, you know, Look at what you're doing, both from a process perspective and from a marketing perspective to drive phone calls. Because we look at, and again, this is looking at our research, we can see under normal circumstances, what people want to do is they want to do the research in advance. They want to kind of self-diagnose themselves, web MD themselves before they show up at your store and then look to buy, you know, a specific vehicle. But in a world where 
right, right now in most parts of the country, people are not either able or comfortable doing that. The second most likely way they're going to contact you is over the phone. And so we need to refactor. We need to re, it's an old technology, but there's a lot of life in our phone lines and our cell phones. So if we can think about the processes in store and make sure that the phone is actually being answered properly and that it's actually ending up in the hands of someone in the sales floor. And then in our media, if we're actually optimizing to try and drive more phone calls, it's one of the easiest things that certainly Google Media can do, as well as a lot of other media types. So we just kind of refocused ourselves on the exercise again through the lens of the needs of the consumer right now. Uh, I think we could we could you know build a, a better digital media plan as well as a better digital ecosystem by simply focusing on you know getting phone calls right, tracking them right, and optimizing to getting more of them. I want to thank both of you. Fascinating conversation. Um, strange times we're living in. Everything's moving quickly. Um, just a, a terrific conversation about going digital. Much appreciated. Matt, Jeremy, thanks for joining me. Thank you. We reached Matthew and Jeremy at their respective offices. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations tab. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.